One of my favorite elements to the Gospel of Mark is that it is uh, Jesus is on the move. Uh, and I love that Mark doesn't mess around and he gets right to the point. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he says, This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. He didn't want you to have any questions about why he's writing what he's writing. He doesn't want you to have any thoughts that this is about someone or something else. He goes right to the point. What you are about to read is about the good news about the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that you have been waiting for. He's here. And this is him. Mark's, uh, Mark's gospel account, we believe, is, uh, has been recorded based on Mark's interaction with Peter. And so the detail that you see here in the Gospel of Mark uh, would be Peter's stories and Peter's words and Peter's sermons. And Mark is writing these things down. He's writing these things down so that, why? Verse 1, it's the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So I love this tone with this book. Because the next thing you're going to start observing is that it is Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus said and did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this. Then he went here and he did this and then he went here and he did this. And so if you're like one of those people who's like, the gospel of John is great. Like, I love it because you have a lot of Jesus's teachings, but there's things in the gospel of John. You're like, wow, that's confusing. I don't understand that. But when you're seeing Jesus on the move. And like him interacting with people. And you're like, well, how did this play out? How did he interact? And how did he walk? And what did he do? This is where you get to go. This is the fast pace. It keeps you moving. Keeps you moving. And this is where Mark, in Mark chapter 9, where we're picking up, we didn't just drop into Mark chapter 9. We've journeyed a ways. We've actually talked about Jesus' healing and Jesus' calling out the disciples. We've talked about how powerful Jesus' teaching was. Him shutting down storms with his words. Him being rejected in his own hometown. Feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, walking on water. Going in hard against the Pharisees and their unbelief. And their religious ways and the, the burdens they put on the shoulders of the people. Like these are the, these are the things Mark records. We have the disciples already making this declaration like people may be saying you're somebody but we believe you're actually the one sent by God we believe you are him and then we have Jesus beginning to declare he is going to die we are in the section of Mark's gospel where the 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 words that Jesus is speaking the disciples may not be understanding but Jesus has begun to say things are going to happen and things are going to ramp up and the speed in which these things are going to go down is going to be baffling but I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. But I will rise again. And the disciples just every time. Huh? Why does he keep talking like this? And so we, the scene before the, the passage we are in this morning is the, the scene of the transfiguration. It's when Jesus takes three of his disciples up on this mountain. And there is a moment, not when... Not when Jesus is reflecting the glory of God, but the disciples are let in to see the glory of God that is Jesus, all of him. They get to see it, and it's shocking, and it's just baffling to see. And it's, what's amazing about this is you have this mountaintop moment, and they go right back down into a mess. 
You ever thought about that? You ever seen how that pattern works in your life? Like you have these moments that are awesome and then you come home and it's like, oh man, there's stuff to deal with. Like being in Israel, you kind of get to see a lay of the land and it's like there'd be these flat valley parts and these high mountains. Like it's just like that. It's like there's no like ramp up to these things. It's like flat, boom, the heights in which you fall. Like you have this God honoring, glorifying moment and you are back into the chaos and confusion of our scene today. Kind of feels a lot like life. But coming down off of this awesome moment, Jesus walks into a frustrating scenario. He walks back into the realities of unbelief. And the other disciples who weren't with the three disciples in Jesus find themselves arguing with the religious leaders and in a situation that they are not able to fix. And Jesus naturally speaks up. And he's like, what are you guys arguing about? And what's amazing to me is you don't have the disciples going, let me tell you. They're probably like this. I don't know, let them tell you. The Pharisees don't speak up, but guess who does speak up? This father. So picking up in verse 17 of Mark chapter nine, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now I want you to put yourself in the father's position this morning. I want you to think about having the pain of a hurting child. All of the attempts that this man must have gone through before this moment with Jesus. Could it have been doctors that he took his child to? Could it have been to other temples, to foreign gods, to, to chantings and crystals and being told by shaman and snake oil salesmen? Well, if you just do these things, then your son will be healed. The number of times he probably saw his son put through more pain to see him healed of this pain. Thinking and hoping every time he took his son that maybe this time it would be different. Can you put yourself in that place? Just, it's like desperation and hope are mingled together. Like it's, we hate that concept. We think everything should be hope filled and it is for, for the end. We know how the story ends. But there's life that goes on and desperation is real and the hurt of being let down is real and the, the things that didn't go my way, it's real. So you have this dad taking his son every time going, maybe this time it'll be different and then you begin to hear the stories of Jesus. And he's hearing, this guy did what? He healed who? He, he walked where? He taught the Pharisees. No one teaches them. Hope beginning to rise in the midst of desperation. Belief is beginning to well up in this father's heart. Maybe things could be different this time.
His father has to take time off of work, possibly, get a caravan together, travel treacherous roads to get to Jesus. The faith of this father doesn't just show up when he's standing in front of Jesus. Faith is already beginning to work in this father's life. He's taking initial steps, whether they were out of desperation or hope, doesn't matter. Jesus is on the scene. This man's belief doesn't start in front of Jesus. It's already beginning to work. But when they arrive, only to find that Jesus is out of the office. This is a Wally World National Lampoon's moment, if ever there was one, to say, I'm bringing my kid to Jesus. There's his group. He gets there, and he's not with them. Like, where is he? Like, can we, get, can we do this? And then to have the disciples kind of getting a little nervous because all of these people are starting to show up to the disciples. Can you imagine them going like, Jesus isn't here, now leave a message at the beep. And all the disciples are like, uh, there's more people coming, there's more people showing up. We're gonna have to do something. And if this is, this is a moment when the disciples who, if you, if you haven't thought about it, they got to live by sight, not by faith for a while. Have you ever thought about that? Like the disciples got to journey and live by sight. They got to see Jesus do a whole lot of things. And now Jesus isn't there. And this is kind of a foreshadowing of what it's going to be like for them when Jesus actually is going to leave them in, in, in moments. They're going to be living a life of faith, not by sight. And so we have this like collision happening. Like where the disciples were initially sent out and they were giving authority over the demons and they were having these stories of victory and all these healings. And now Jesus isn't with them for this moment and they have not been able to do what's been asked of them. Wasn't their authority. So I can imagine a father going and being like, look, you couldn't do it. So can disciple Carl over here, can he do it? Is he older in the faith? Is he a better model disciple than you are? Can, can he help my son? Can he help my son? Can he help my son? Can any one of you help my son? Like I heard these things about Jesus and nothing is happening. Desperation and hope. This is one of those moments that as a father, you really go, I don't want the disciple. I want Jesus. I don't want the one who's learning Jesus's ways. I want Jesus. Like whenever I hear a doctor say that these students are gonna be looking at your kids, you know what I say? Not my kids. Let them learn on someone else's kids. I don't want the, I don't want the one who's learning how to stick needles in a child to learn on my child. I know they have to do this to learn, but I don't want that. I want them to learn on someone else's child. I want the one who knows what they're doing. This is a moment. This is when the desperation and like, I know my kid is sick. I don't want the apprentice working on my kid. I want the doctor. Thankfully, Jesus shows up right on time. Verse 19 says this, and, and Jesus' response, it's a very critical response. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put 
up with you. But Jesus is all love, right? Like Skittles and rainbows and skipping. That's what Jesus does. No. He just came hard. Like right at him. I'm not pulling any punches. I'm not writing an open letter. I'm not going to blog about you and send it to you. I'm not going to talk to someone about you. I'm going to call you for what you are. You're a faithless people. Jesus' response is not a frustration and criticism that's just been carried for the three years that he's been ministering. Like, the dude has been doing some incredible things, and there are still people who are like, nah, no, 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 no. Jesus has had a front row seat. The Son of God has had a front row seat at unbelief since the time we stepped on the earth. So the son of God is not just frustrated with the last three years of his life. Do you know what he's watched? He's watched God show himself faithful over and over and over and over. And people go, mm-mm, So when Jesus says, how long, people? It's not sugar-coated. It's not candied. It's real. And his response should cause us to go, how important is faith to me? How important is is it to Jesus that I would believe based on what I have seen him do? Or am I going to harden my heart to to the times that God has revealed himself over and over and over and over? Oh, the patience of God. All Jesus has done has shown the people, you can trust me. My actions are declaring you can trust what I'm saying. Over and over and over. How long must I put up with you faithless people? But in the midst of that question, Jesus says these words, So they brought the boy, and when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, a very different how long. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked to the boy's father. Jesus moves from how long do I have to put up with you to how long has this been happening. Even in a frustrated response to the people, he still moves in compassion. He still moves in concern for meeting the need. He still moves in going, I bring life where there is death. He doesn't storm off at the lack of their unbelief. Like he doesn't twirl his cloak and walk away. Like he doesn't do that. He stays with them. He stays close. He doesn't storm off. He's actually going to war against their unbelief. He doesn't war against them. He wars against their unbelief. The mercy and the help that this father has been begging for is on its way. Now this, I I want you to pay close attention. This speaks to the person who just says, you know what, if I don't just blindly believe in God, he's just gonna wipe me out? That question's not even founded or stated correctly. God has never asked 
for blind faith. He has never said, just believe me. In fact, it's why we have the scripture. It's why God has put his thumb across history. His thumbprint is all over earth and history and time. And the scripture is him going, hey, I want to show you that I'm trustworthy. See, blind faith isn't God honoring. You know what is honoring? It's seeing God's faithfulness and going, I believe you. That's God honoring. So to just walk around and go, God's saying, you must believe me. You must believe me. You don't even have a foundation for that because all he's done is going, here's why you can believe me. Here's why you can trust me. Look in, this, look in my story. Look at my son. Look at the cross. Look at his resurrection. You can trust him. And our hearts slowly warm to what Jesus continues to reveal about who God is. So my honest question to you is that what you see here is do you see a God who's just saying, believe me blindly? No. So my question to you this morning is, will you see him the way he's choosing to reveal himself? Will you let your broken narrative be dealt with by the son of God? Will you let your broken thoughts of, well, he's just demanding blind faith from me. No, he's not. Never has. But will you let Jesus address your broken narratives this morning? This brings us to the central moment of our text today, verse 22. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Here we have a very honest father moment. Here's what's happening. I need mercy and I need help if you can. Do you remember the father's journey, right? If you can is his natural response because of desperation and hope. If you can is I have seen numbers upon numbers upon numbers of people not be able to help my son. So I'm coming to you with desperation and I'm coming to you with hope. And I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how to move in that. And I don't even know how to walk in that. I hear you talk about belief. I mean, I'm here, right? Like I got here. I packed up all the stuff and brought my son here. So that counts for something, right? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. My question to you this morning is why are you here? Did you come with desperation? Like I've just, I've been trying everything else. Maybe Jesus, I don't know. Maybe God, I don't know. I've been getting myself into predicaments left and right. I don't know how to handle anything. Maybe God this morning, I don't know. Did you come with desperation? And hope? Like, I think that's how we come. Like, because all this week, 
You've walked in unbelief too, right? It's why you chased money. It's why you chase women. It's why you chase education. It's why you chase relationships. It's why you chase the perfect parenting model. It's why you chase perfect, perfect, perfect. It's why you put the Instagram filters on your photos. It's why you do all that you do. It's because at the core of us, we just don't believe God can meet our needs. So we come together Sunday morning to hopefully hear of the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because if we are reminded of those things and the power that is displayed over that, maybe he can meet my need. Maybe he really can be everything I need, not throwing myself at every relationship that I possibly can. Maybe that financial burden that I'm really stressing over, he actually can meet. Because you know what? He met the biggest need on the cross. Maybe he can. Is that why you're here? That's why I come. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's why we gather. That's why we get up in the mornings. And if you've got kids, Sunday really is the joke of getting to church because it's true. All hell unleashes in every one of our spawn. Just does. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Why did you come with desperation and with hope? And as we can see, this father's prayer is the cry of an imperfect believer. And I need you to know that is all of us. We live in the tension of certainty and uncertainty. Verse 24 Jesus, these words, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus is not emphasizing the size of our belief here. He's actually emphasizing the strength of our savior. Some of you will run out of here going, I gotta work up enough faith, enough strength to believe, enough, 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 and you're gonna put the focus all on you. And it's gonna be a broken cycle. I promise you. But when Jesus is saying, it is not about the strength of your faith, but it is about the strength of a savior, you know what that causes us to do? Just stand still. And go, my savior is strong. He conquered death. I think he can handle my emergency. Lord, I believe is not about the strength of your belief, your level of belief. It's about the object in which we are believing. His track record proves, Jesus' track record proves that what he's about to do is only going to reaffirm this. Verse 25 says this, when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. For some reason, as I read these words this week, that word listen bowled me over. And here's why. This spirit that had entered this boy was deaf and mute. This child had probably not responded to a voice in years. 
And the first thing Jesus says to this boy is, listen. He may not have heard a voice for 10, 12 years, but he will hear Jesus' voice. As a father, I cannot even imagine trying to yell at my son who might be running towards a cliff because this possessed spirit is throwing him off of things, trying to hurt him. And as I'm trying to yell his name out, he can't hear me and he's not listening to me. Or even if him just sitting right next to me, when I say his name, he can't look up and look at me. But for some reason, when Jesus looks at this boy, he says, listen, this boy, As a father, I cannot even imagine that moment. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Guess what Jesus was doing? Guess what Jesus was doing? Now, as you consider these things, the onlookers were also looking Eh, We might believe in Jesus if we see him do something. Lord, we kind of believe, help our unbelief. Guess what Jesus was doing. Guess what Jesus was doing. Verses 26 through 29 finish this way. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Verse 27, but Jesus. Like the more you read through the gospels, circle every time you see, but Jesus, because you know what's happening? He's addressing the way we think. The crowd thought, this kid's dead. You know what Jesus said? Something else. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Even after Jesus has made a declaration and it looks one way, the crowd responds, well, he's probably dead, but Jesus. I hope that you will grow to love but Jesus moments in the gospel because but Jesus moments are going straight to your and my unbelief. That's what he's doing. Guess what Jesus is doing. Um, This Last Tuesday, I helped at uh, field day with my kids. It was their end of the year kind of stuff. And they do this big, long quarter mile race with all the third, fourth, and fifth graders. And so one of the kids who I'd gotten to know when I went on one of their field trips, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, are you the 40 mile man? And if you didn't know, I trained all from September all the way to May to run an ultra race because I turned 40 this year. I was like, I'm going to do something crazy. And I ran an ultra on May the 4th this last year. Well, apparently Jude tells people at school that I run 40 miles. And so this kid, this kid comes up to me and is like, are you, are you the 40 mile man? 
Jude always says, my dad ran 40 miles. My dad ran 40 miles. I like Jude, I'm, I'm glad you talk about it. I like it. I like that you tell your friends. Um, it's one of those, my dad's bigger than your dad conversations. <clears throat> and I get it. I like it. Um, but his statement was funny to me. He was like, you the 40 mile man? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I did it. And he was like, you should get out there. You would destroy those third graders. <laughs> okay, so... I look at him and say, I'd like to think I could destroy those third graders even if I hadn't run 40 miles. I mean, that's kind of what I was, I was thinking that. But what we're seeing by this interaction is that this young man knew what I was capable of and so it determined what he thought I could do next. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is what Jesus does when we look at him. You and I come with all sorts of needs and frustrations and fears and tremblings and worries and doubts. And the way those things are dealt with is not what we hope for in the future. The way they're dealt with is what we know has been done in the past. Like he's shown himself faithful over and over and over and over And the more we take time to stare at that, the more we begin to go, I think he can handle my situation. The real problem for this father would not be saying, Lord, I have unbelief in my heart. The real problem would be if he came to this Jesus and says, I have no struggles with unbelief. That would be the real problem. Because that statement reeks of of my independence. Rather than humbly coming and going, Lord, my heart is prone to wander. I feel it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you walk around going, I have no problems with unbelief, then here's the deal. You're calling God a liar. What I mean by that is if you examine the sin that only you know about in your life, if you examine it, here's the the way it works. There's the outer action But below the outer action is the idol in which we are holding up over God. So if like for me, like running after the next relationship, the next relationship, the next relationship, the idol is like self-worth, acceptance, approval, like somehow those things have become more valuable to me than the presence of God. And so the, the sin of me chasing these outer action things is showing up in that way. But the, the layer underneath the idol of, of approval or, or self-worth and all these things that I've lifted up over God, do you know what's beneath that layer? Unbelief. The base layer of sin is unbelief. That God can actually meet our deepest needs. So to say that I don't struggle with unbelief is to actually say I am sin free. And the Bible says that when we believe we have no sin, we're actually calling God a liar. So be very careful your boast of I have no struggles with unbelief. Instead, adopt the humble posture of Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The Christ follower walks a line of confidence and uncertainty, belief 
and unbelief, seeing God show himself faithful in the past and continuing to show himself faithful in the future. This is where we walk, a weak faith, a strong savior. So this morning, I'd love for you to do an exercise as we close our time together. I'd love for you to say, Lord, I believe, and fill in the blank. What is it that you believe about him and what he's done and who he is and what he's been capable of in your past? Lord, help my unbelief. Those moments, those scenarios, those circumstances that you're looking at going, I don't, I don't, know, I don't, know, how you, I don't know how you come through in this. I don't, know how you, I don't know how you even address this. Lord, here, here's where I'm wrestling with unbelief this morning. I can walk through what I don't know because of what I do know. I mean, that's, that's about as simple of the Christ followers declaration as I can say it. I can walk through what I don't know because what I know. If God can provide the covering and forgiveness for my sin that is needed above everything else on this earth, then he can provide for the broken relationships that I'm seeing. If God can be patient with me, a sinner, then he can be patient with the most rebellious or prodigal child that walks in our lives. If God is strong enough to adopt a son like me who always is on the run and willing to sin because of my unbelief, then he is strong enough to halt the people that I am begging him for. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Every time we look at Jesus in the scripture, he goes to war against our doubts. Every time we sit with another Christ follower and hear the testimonies of his faithfulness, he goes to war against our doubts. Every time we sing a song of God's power out loud with our lips, we hear the words sung by the people around us, he goes to war against our doubts. Every time we give or trust him with our money, if we're giving or if we're giving ourselves away with our time, every time we do that, he goes to war against our doubts. The father who came after years of walls, <laughs> running up against every wall there was, he had heard and he had doubts, but seeing Jesus at work went to war against his unbelief. Even living among people who were notorious sinners, prostitutes, cheats, abusers, thieves of all sorts, Jesus did not go to war against their behavior. He went to war against their unbelief. You can trust me. Put down that other thing that you're trusting and trust me. Jesus came into the world to save the world. Light into darkness, hope into despair, healing in the midst of pain, rescuing captives. And it is in seeing this strong God that people begin to go Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Is what you believe of Jesus today enough to walk you through the uncertainty tomorrow? Uh, I want to show you a photo real quick as we, as the band, you guys can come. Um, 
This first picture is a photo of uh, Bethlehem Bible College. It lays outside the gates of Jerusalem, and so it's in a Palestinian area. Uh, and so this is the Bible College that we went and sat with, the guy who is the founder of Bethlehem Bible College, uh, and that's the next picture. His name is Bashara Awad, and uh, this man is a Palestinian uh, believer, and he shared his story with us uh, in, in Jerusalem um, he had, his mother had come to faith as a small child, a girl uh, who was prayed with by a woman in her school, and she gave her faith to Christ. As she grew up, uh, this, this, this girl, her name was Huda, she gave her life to the Lord, ends up marrying a man, having uh, several children. All of those sons became pastors in Bashara. Um, kind of was approached by a group who said, look, you're, as a pastor, would you be willing to found, found a school that would actually train pastors, uh, Palestinian Christians, believers, to continue to minister the gospel in this city? And so he did, and in the process of doing that, these, this organization came to him and they were like, you don't have any formal education, would you like to go and get a theological degree in the States, we'll pay for it and take care of you and all that stuff? And he said, yes, sure. So he took his family uh, while the school was, was founded and up and running, and he went to the United States uh, to go to theology school in, in California. And what was interesting was he and his family were in this market uh, in California, and they were speaking Arabic to each other, and a woman walks up to them in the midst of this conversation, and she's like, I hear you speaking Arabic. I, I speak Arabic too. I, I, was a, I was a missionary in Jerusalem for 40 years. And, uh, and so she began to share just kind of a frustration. She said in the 40 years in her time in Jerusalem, she led one little girl to Christ. You know where I'm going with this. She led one little girl in 40 years to the Lord. Now Bashara's alarms start going off. And he says, was that little girl's name Huda? And Miss Black, the missionary, said, that's who I have prayed for for the last 40 years. And Bashara gets to share and says, can I tell you what your faithfulness to God did? Like my mother would tell us about Miss Black and thank God for Miss Black and that you were there and you led her to Christ. And this, my whole family, my brothers are pastors and I have founded a school that trains pastors. And so I want you to know that God has been faithful in the midst of you wondering, did you do anything? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you think that woman walked away going, what in the world? I can guarantee you she did. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's our prayer. And so this morning, as we go to the tables to take communion, just know that every time we take of this bread and this juice, he is going to war against our unbelief. That if he can heal the most important relationship that you and I could ever need, he's capable of all things. 
And so when you go and you take that bread and you dip it in the juice, you take it in, you are saying, God, thank you for being big and thank you for loving me in ways that I will never know. That is bigger and grander and greater than anything else. I think you got me through the rest. I don't know how you're gonna move, but I know you hold me. And that is enough for us this morning. Such a gift. The other element this morning I'd like to point to is to just give everyone time. If you'd like to use this space as an altar to just kind of kneel down, maybe even in your chair. But I said, what is it that you believe about the Lord this morning? Giving you space to say those things and then areas that you're like, God, here's where I'm struggling because it's because of what we do believe that he ministers to the areas that we were struggling that we might not believe together. So together as your church, Lord, we pray the prayer, the honest prayer of a desperate and hopeful father, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief.